This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is the, the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio. 77 WABC, making AM radio great again. Uh, I am privileged now to be joined by John Phillips. He is a columnist for the Orange County, California Register uh, and a longtime voice on KABC in Los Angeles. Uh, and he joins us on the Roger Stone Show now. John, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Roger. Happy to be here. Uh, so I needed somebody to help uh, interpret California politics for us. Uh, Gavin Newsom is a now a national figure. He showed up at the Fox uh, debate uh, roughly 10 days ago now uh, as a surrogate speaker representing Joe Biden. He's uh, announced that he will uh, debate Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, one-on-one, hosted uh, by my friend Sean Hannity at Fox. What exactly is Gavin Newsom up to? He's running for president. And this pick is not designed to please the people of California. At this point, he treats California like you would treat an ex-girlfriend's house where he stops by to pick up his stuff and maybe get a hug. But that's pretty much it. His ambitions are national, and California is just his day job that he has to pay lip service to. And he made this this pledge to nominate a black woman to replace Dianne Feinstein on Joy Ann Reed's show over on MSNBC. And he went on Meet the Press and said, it'll just be a caretaker, though, because I don't want to get involved in the Democratic primary. And then he started receiving all kinds of blowback from all kinds of places, with the loudest voice being Barbara Lee, because she thought she would get the appointment. She's the congresswoman from Oakland who's running for the seat. And what he did was he immediately buckled to the pressure and nominated a woman who is essentially a political consultant who worked with A. Smith, who is Kamala Harris's political consultant and Gavin Newsom's political consultant, along with Jerry Brown and a bunch of others here in the state of California, and put her in the seat without any strings attached at all. She hasn't announced if she's going to run for a full term, but why would you take it unless you were willing to run for a full term? particularly when you have the backing of everyone in leadership in the U.S. Senate, because she will be an incumbent running for re-election, which means Chuck Schumer and the Democrats have an obligation to get behind her 
with all of the money she needs to hold that seat. And this puts Adam Schiff and Barbara Lee and Katie Porter in an awful situation because right now they're not running for an open seat. They're running against a Democratic incumbent. And even though she was appointed, she was never selected by the voters of California. She still has all of the power of incumbency. And if you go back and you look at other embattled incumbents that we just all assumed were dead meat, but had the power of the caucus behind them, that's Lisa Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski pissed off all of the conservatives in Alaska by voting uh, the way that she did on on any number of issues where she, she broke ranks from Republicans and voted with the Democrats. And there was a conservative candidate that was running against her. But who did Mitch McConnell stand behind? He didn't stand behind the conservative. He stood by his incumbent. And I don't think that Adam Schiff or Barbara Lee or Katie Porter knows what's coming because Adam Schiff in particular was very close to Nancy Pelosi, and he always had leadership backing him up for all of his dirty deeds. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. Now instead of having leadership solidly behind him, he's going to be the guy they're all trying to kill off. And I, for one, think it couldn't happen to a better guy. Yeah, just so people understand, we're we're talking about uh, Gavin Newsom's authority to appoint uh, a senator to the newly vacated seat that became available uh, with the passing of veteran Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, for those who uh, may uh, may need that clarification, uh, does this woman uh, who was appointed to the seat not actually live in Maryland? She was registered to vote in Maryland. She was living in Maryland. She owns property in Los Angeles. And in California, all you have to do is you have to fill out a a little form online to change your registration. What was strange to me was that they didn't have her fill out that form online before they made the announcement. They made the announcement, and then it was still listed in all of her social media accounts and all of her official bios that she was a Maryland resident and a Maryland voter. And it wasn't until they were embarrassed that she filled out the form online and became a California registered voter. Now, another interesting wrinkle to this story is that, as you mentioned, Diane Feinstein is a longtime U.S. senator here. Uh, she's been in that office since 1992 and was the mayor of San Francisco before that, taking over after the assassination of George Moscone. But the, the uh, obituaries and the reflection on Dianne Feinstein's life lasted exactly two seconds. It seems like the only people who were really upset when she died were people who had Mitch McConnell in the dead pool. Everyone else moved on immediately and wanted to talk about what would happen to that seat, who would get that seat, and how does this impact that race. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. The The best uh, kind of retrospective on her career wasn't in the L.A. Times or the San Francisco Chronicle. It was in the New York Post, uh, of, of all places. Uh, they seem to move on very, very quickly. Uh, can California uh, ever become a red state again? Is that is that ever historically in the cards? Well, California was not only once a red state. We were a blood red state for a very long time. 
I mean, we gave birth to Ronald Reagan. We gave birth to Richard Nixon. We gave birth to a lot of the ideas. I mean, even the selling of Barry Goldwater started out here uh, in California with Ronald Reagan. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, against our history for us to go back uh, in that direction. I'm of the belief that that politics is a pendulum and not a continuum, and you can do things like push your agenda too far. All of us see what's going on right now on the streets of San Francisco and Oakland and Los Angeles: the drug use, the crime, the filth, the dirt no one bothering to follow any of the rules. And in San Francisco, here's a statistic for you that will blow your mind. With everything that you've seen with fentanyl and drug use happening all over, in the last 15 months, there has been exactly one criminal conviction for dealing fentanyl in all of San Francisco. One. That is it. It doesn't mean that they haven't been charging people But the juries essentially buy into the argument that the defense attorneys give out that these are illegal aliens who are human trafficked in the the country, and they felt that they had to deal fentanyl, otherwise they would be abused by their tormentors. And then the juries all side with the defendants, and nobody gets convicted. Well, you do that enough times, and you start to kill off your population with drugs. And you're seeing that happen right now all over the state. And at some point, people will have had enough. And sometimes it happens slowly, and sometimes there's a clean break. It happened that way with crime in the 1990s, when crime was really out of control in California. And it was the kidnapping of a girl by the name of Polly Kloss from Petaluma, who was taken from her house while she was having a sleepover by Richard Allen Davis, who was a repeat offender. And eventually, he was caught, but she was raped and murdered and all kinds of awful things happened to her. But the public was so outraged at what happened that we passed three strikes, you're out. Pete Wilson, who was our incumbent governor at the time and was supposed to get obliterated by Jerry Brown's sister, Kathleen, that November, and November of 94, ended up winning by double digits. He cruised to reelection. And the Republican wave that year in 1994 was so strong that it almost knocked Dianne Feinstein out of office when Michael Huffington challenged her because she had to run two years later. She was serving a partial term. That was originally Pete Wilson's U.S. Senate seat. And Republicans took control of the state assembly. So 1994 is not ancient history. And when the public had enough, you saw a massive reaction at the ballot box. That was also the year, by the way, that voters passed Prop 187 by wide margins. So I I could see something along those lines happening because it's the, the, the misery that we live with on a daily basis is palpable. I mean, you see the the Rite Aids and the, the Starbucks and everything else is closing down around you because of all the blight and the crime. At some point, there's going to be some break where something happens and the Republicans in California better be ready for it. Do the uh, demographic changes, though, in the makeup of California leave the state within reach uh, of any Republican? Not right now, but you look at the issue of crime. 
the issue of crime impacts Asians and Latinos disproportionately. These videos that you see of grandmothers getting punched or knocked out or shoved in front of subways or whatever the case may be, they're almost all Asians. And that community knows they're under attack. And that community and the Latino community, they own a lot of the small businesses here that get robbed on a daily basis. And there's nothing that the district attorney is willing to do to stop it from happening. There's nothing that the governor or the state legislature is willing to do to stop it from happening. They're angry about it. They vote for a lot of these politicians. But at a certain point in time, you're going to make the connection that the politicians that are failing to protect you are the same ones that you're voting for. And you can already see seeds, especially with Latinos. If you look at places in California that are agricultural or rural, you're seeing dramatic swings in votes for Republicans and away from Democrats, places like the Central Valley or Imperial County near the Mexican border. Not the big cities. It hasn't started in Los Angeles. It hasn't happened in Oakland and places like that yet. It's started in the agricultural areas. But I think that that's the first step. And Republican candidates have to make the, the case that it is the policies of these Soros district attorneys and the policies of the Newsoms and the state legislature that's causing your beautiful state to look like a dump. But we have begun to see this uh, in Florida, where the gains that both Donald Trump made in this state in 2020 uh, and the gains that uh, Governor DeSantis made were not surprisingly limited to uh, Cuban Americans or Venezuelan Americans, but actually uh, deep inroads into Puerto Rican uh, Americans who heretofore were, you know, behaviorally and habitually solid Democratic voters. So uh, the trend you speak of uh, is entirely possible. Uh, the dichotomy, interestingly enough, was that those Hispanic American voters who got their news in English but spoke Spanish continued to vote habitually Democratic, uh, where those, uh, pardon me, it's the other way around, those who got their news in the Spanish language continued to vote habitually Democratic in traditional numbers, whereas those Spanish-speaking voters who got their news in English uh, were moving to the Republican Party, really in record numbers, carrying uh, Miami-Dade County in South Florida, carrying Palm Beach County, uh, record gains in the I-4 corridor uh, uh, in the central part of the state show that this can actually happen. And when you cross-tab it back and look at it, it is very much uh, crime and job opportunity issues uh, that are moving that vote. Uh, handicap a Gavin Newsom-Ron DeSantis televised debate for us. Gavin Newsom is a better debater than people think. And even though he's slimy, and even though he is an awful governor, the one thing you have to know about Gavin Newsom is that he is severely dyslexic. Severely dyslexic. He cannot read off a teleprompter. He almost flunked out of school because of it. 
he has to memorize everything. I was at a party one time where I was talking to some of the speechwriters, and they said that because he has to memorize everything, they, you can't make any edits to his speeches. So once you write the speech, if, if you got a fact wrong or you got a number wrong or you got something that needs to be corrected, you can't do it because you will blow his mind if you change one comma. So he will go into this debate with the ability to rattle off names and dates and figures and statistics and not have to refer to notes and not have to refer to a teleprompter because he wouldn't have the ability to read it if he had it. So it has caused him, the dyslexia, to be unbelievably prepared for these sorts of things. He never goes into any public event unprepared. He's one of the most prepared politicians in the nation. And he also is likable in a weird, perverse sort of way. And he understands how conservatives think. Even though he lives in California, even though he's the mayor of San Francisco, he does nothing but watch conservative media all day long. He watches Fox and Newsmax and One American News. He listens to talk radio. He's probably listening to you right now. His father-in-law is a big, rich Republican businessman and donor who has given to Ron DeSantis in the past. He used to be married to Kimberly Guilfoyle, and he used to go to these Fox News parties when she was married to him and she was working in television news. So he knows Sean Hannity. He knows Jesse Waters. He knows all of these people. He's seen them in person before. He's dined with them before. He's one of the few Democrats who knows how conservatives think. And he can talk to us. He has the ability to talk to us in ways that makes him seem less scary than he actually is. And I don't know if Ron DeSantis is ready for that, but that's what's coming. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Yeah, he has, uh, I certainly don't like his politics, but he seems to have a greater likability factor uh, than Governor DeSantis, something we talked about earlier uh, on the show. Um, I think he's incredibly smooth. This dance he's doing now is kind of interesting. Uh, I see why Governor DeSantis is doing this upcoming debate. He's looking for a way to breathe life into a, a campaign that's on life support, both financially and in terms of votes, uh, has not been able to live up to the early expectations for his candidacy. Uh, But in the case of Gavin Newsom, I guess what he's doing here is, 
I don't know, advertising his availability? Sure. And I don't think Gavin Newsom is planning on running against Joe Biden. He's made that very clear. What Gavin Newsom is doing is he's running a shadow campaign for the presidency because he doesn't think Joe Biden's going to be alive in November of 2024. The reason that he's pushing this constitutional amendment on guns is not because he thinks it has a chance at passing. He's doing it because he's building a national database. He's building a database of people who might be supporters, who might be donors, who have interest in what it is that he's doing. He is pretty much ignoring the California press corps entirely, even though they lean to the left or or they are to the left and they are on the same page with him politically. He treats them like they don't exist. He treats them like they don't matter. He doesn't want to talk about crime. He doesn't want to talk about homelessness. He doesn't want to talk about the insurance industry collapsing in the state. He wants to talk about abortion. He wants to talk about uh, LGBT rights. He wants to talk about January the 6th. He wants to talk about Donald Trump. Those are the only subjects he's interested in right now. So he has to go on the national shows to be asked about that, because if he talks to the press here, they're not going to ask him about any of those things. They're just going to ask him about what's going on in California and the failures of California government. And he has no interest in that. But I do believe that that Biden has made the transition of looking at Newsom as a potential threat, and now he looks at Newsom as an ally. And they use Newsom as their chief surrogate at the Republican debate in Simi Valley. I think they're going to be using a lot of Newsom this upcoming campaign season. Uh, I would think uh, let, let's let's assume the worst. Uh, we don't wish him uh, ill health or. Uh, we certainly uh, wish him the best, but let's say what, for every reason, Joe Biden is unable to make this race, either uh, because he is deceased or because he's incapacitated. How does the Democratic Party bypass uh, a woman of color who is the sitting vice president, uh, and at least on paper uh, and by tradition, next in line for the presidential nomination in order to nominate a white male. How would that work? Yeah, that's a tough putt, and I I don't know the answer to that question. The only thing I can think of is if there are a series of polls, and she, as bad as Biden is polling right now, she is consistently polling worse than him. And there was that outlier poll that the Washington Post and ABC News put out that showed Trump ahead of Biden by 10 points. And that caused all the Democrats to have a heart attack over the weekend. And then they got over it and said, OK, that's the outlier. Imagine what would happen if you had polls like that showing Donald Trump beating Kamala Harris by double digits. But it wasn't an outlier. It was one after another, after another, after another. Democrats buy into the identity politics and they're all afraid of being called sexist or racist or fill in the blank, but they want to win. They're not they're not completely suicidal. If you have a series of polls that come out that show her as a non-viable candidate, I think if you're Gavin Newsom, you can make the case, look, I don't want to do this. I'm doing this to save the Democratic Party's chances in November. 
Well, perhaps they make the case, God forbid, that if uh, they should win the presidency and uh, retain control of the U.S. Senate, uh, that uh, Kamala Harris could go to the U.S. Supreme Court for the next vacancy. She is, after all, uh, a former uh, attorney general uh, of California, also former uh, district attorney, uh, I guess, in Oakland. Uh, it, it's not very palatable to me, but it, it is also still, depending on how the next election works out, within the realm of political possibility. Uh, but I, I think it is a sticky wicket uh, in their party to bypass uh, Kamala Harris. A couple weeks ago when she came forward and said, as questions rose about uh, Joe Biden's performance, uh, uh, that, you know, that nobody should worry because she is ready to step in at any moment. Uh, that didn't give many people I know comfort, but to me it was more of a political signal that she has no intention of going anywhere uh, other than moving up if that opportunity should uh, present itself. No, and to add some meat to those bones, there was a, a piece that ran in the LA Times not too long ago, uh, written by George Skelton, their longtime columnist who covers California politics. And he floated the idea that if Feinstein were to pass away, that Newsom should appoint Kamala Harris to be the U.S. Senator from California, fulfilling his promise to nominate a black woman and taking her off the ticket as an anchor that's tied around the ankles of Joe Biden. After he printed that, she and her people were so angry at Skelton and the L.A. Times that an operation that typically ignores the California press corps couldn't, couldn't reach out to us fast enough wanting to offer the press secretary for Kamala Harris to come into the California news market and do interviews with whoever wanted her so they could smooth that over and say that there's no truth to that at all. She was that angry at that piece. Well, it didn't make any logical sense uh, unless, of course, I guess the next step would be uh, Joe Biden would have the ability to appoint to a vice presidential vacancy if one was created uh, by Kamala Harris's accepting uh, a Senate seat, which, by the way, she's already held would have been a step backwards. Uh, I saw that piece. It didn't make uh, a lot of sense to me at the point that I saw it. The California Republicans, uh, not long ago, kind of got caught red-handed trying to quietly change their delegate selection rules. Winner-take-all has always governed the California Republican presidential primary, going back to uh, my service in three campaigns for Ronald Reagan, uh, that didn't seem to go very far in the state Republican committee when it was exposed. Uh, if the Republican primary for president took place in California tomorrow, uh, John, what would happen? Trump would win outright and win all the delegates. The new rule is you have to win over 50% to win all of them and I believe he would. Uh, I'll say this, we, we typically have no problem in the California market getting all of these candidates to come on. They wanna come on, especially if they have a fundraiser here and they want their donors to hear them on the radio or see them on television. That's, it's an easy get for us and it's usually them who's reaching out. So far, 
this campaign season, the only two candidates who have made themselves available to the California media market are Larry Elder, who comes from our world, and Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota. Ron DeSantis is not doing news media here. Nikki Haley is not doing news media here. Tim Scott is not doing news media here. They were all here at the convention and to meet with donors, and they got right out of the state. They didn't stick around. They're not talking to voters here because they know it's useless. They know it's hopeless. They know at this point it's over. The only way any of these people are going to be competitive in California is if they pull off a couple of upsets in some of those early voting states and create some kind of national momentum that propels them up in the polls in California. But I I don't see that as a likely scenario. Yeah, it is. uh, It's interesting going back to 2016 again in 2020. uh, Donald Trump always recognized the tremendous value of free media. So therefore, he would sometimes do 10, 12 interviews a day. Uh, He would do interviews with media outlets right, left and center because he understood that you couldn't buy that kind of media coverage. I can understand why candidates uh, running behind in the polls uh, would recognize that certain uh, wealthy zip codes in both Southern and Northern California uh, are very donor rich. But it it does suggest uh, that all of these candidates actually know that this is hopeless, that they are either running for vice president or they're running for the exercise to get their name better known for a potential 2028 race. Uh, But it doesn't matter the state. At this point, all of the data I am looking at shows uh, that uh, this is is Donald Trump's party at the grassroots. All right, I'm sorry to say that we are out of time. I want to thank uh, Orange County Register uh, columnist uh, and longtime voice of KABC in Los Angeles, John Phillips, for joining us here on The Roger Stone Show. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.